Hey, everybody. Welcome back to the Outcomes Rocket. I want to welcome you to our podcast and in particular, the series that we're doing with Deloitte on the the risks in cyber that life sciences and healthcare organizations face. Today, I have the privilege of hosting two amazing leaders in the space. I want to introduce you to Amit Jakira. He is a principal at Deloitte Risk and Financial Advisories Cyber and Strategic Risk Practice. He has over 20 years of experience in the cyber risk domain, including identity and access management, risk assessment, security and controls, and compliance. He leads uh, Deloitte's identity practice and life sciences in the healthcare industry. I also have Justin Rowe with us. He is a Deloitte Advisory Managing Director in the Cyber Risk Services Practice within the life sciences and healthcare industry. Justin specializes in delivering cloud security and data protection programs focused on data loss prevention, discovery, and classification and data protection program business engagement. Just an incredible opportunity to chat with these two leaders in the cyberspace. And I want to thank both of you for for joining me today. Yeah, good to be on, Saul. Thanks for having us. Absolutely. And guys, look, uh, before we dive into the really interesting discussion that we've got teed up, tell us what got you into the healthcare life sciences cyberspace. I think for me, it's uh, the mission, right? We are, we support organizations across all industries, right? From government to financial to pretty much every sector. But within life science and healthcare, for me, there is a broader mission where we help make people's lives better. In a lot of cases, we're actually helping save lives through the work we do. And that's pretty motivating, right? Besides the how I enjoy the work that I do, it's the organizations that I serve. It's good to know that they're doing good in the society. And that keeps me motivated. And that's what actually got me into the industry. That's great, Amit. Thanks so much for sharing that. Justin? Similar story, but also um, kind of retrospectively, I came into security at the same time in a managed service to security environment. And my clients uh, working in that security operations function were, were all in healthcare. I naturally you know, started in this, in this sector many, many years ago, but also evolved to when I came to Deloitte, sticking with it and supporting the clients in that sector as well. My wife is also in uh, in the healthcare industry. She she works in mental health. She also gives me that little bump as it pertains to working with uh, the folks and our clients uh, in the sector. Love that, Justin. Really appreciate it. And man, super excited for our discussion today. Really, we are going to be talking about evolving security measures to meet the changing needs of the life sciences and healthcare industry. And with that, we're talking about this particular industry. Do you see them as singular entities or are they at different stages of their cyber journey? Um, and I can go from an identity perspective. Uh, I mean, there's definitely a difference. I mean, it's a great question. Life sciences, by the nature of what they do and their market cap, they are larger organizations. The kind of information they're trying to protect is R&D and drug patterns and things like that. They've definitely invested more over the years in, and they've had the means to do so in security measures and specifically in identity. If I look at where they are in their identity journey, they're typically in identity 2.0 or 3.0, where they've gone through a few iterations, they've matured, learned the lessons, and are continuing to further that evolution into that space. Healthcare, on the other hand, if you look at the number of healthcare organizations, there are a lot of smaller regional systems who don't necessarily have the means to invest that heavily. However, with the spate of ransomware attacks and the increasingly the cumulative effect of one after the other, the amount of money they've had to pay out, they are starting to come around. And in the last three to four years, we've seen a influx and an increase in the number of healthcare organizations 
that are now starting their first real identity journey. So 1.0, where they have already invested, I think, healthcare uh, organizations, to their credit, in the clinical environment for physicians and nurses and ease of access, where you can swipe in and out of in the clinical space so you can get access to patient data. In those technologies, healthcare organizations have pretty much done well. It's a pretty mature and stable environment. But on the enterprise side, like I said, we, we kind of see them at the beginning of that journey. Yeah, certainly. But in on cloud, it sort of reflects the same in using sort of that paradigm that Amit mentioned shortly ago around kind of this 1.0 to 3.0 version, if you will, life sciences from our standpoint, just based on their use cases and the means to do so, had uh, the ability to queue just using the cloud January speaking five plus years ago um, in which they had specific use cases to include data center, uh, data center migration, moving applications and data to the cloud, accomplished that many, many years ago, right? Because they had the business case to do so, whereas in healthcare really didn't take off uh, until probably either right before, right around the pandemic began, just because of that nature of folks working from home, having to access specific services, whether software as a service all the way up to infrastructure as a service, and cloud security uh, control requirements, of course, had to follow it. So uh, cybersecurity teams were standing up new cloud security functions that were aiming to, to stay at or ahead of uh, the momentum being built by what healthcare clients were doing because of the pandemic and having to just transition to a virtual nature up until now where they're starting to understand a little bit more specifically and maturely around how to secure the cloud, but also what they can do to build teams around the business, around their cloud platform team to uh, to make sure that this is all done securely as well successfully. Yeah, some really insightful thoughts there from both of you. As industry trends go, what what are you guys seeing in, in identity and cloud? We kick it off with identity. Amit? I think, uh, like I said, having achieved a relative stability and maturity in the identity front on the life sciences side and pharma companies and such, we see them evolving to some of the more mature capabilities, right? They are adopting password less for authentication. They are go- moving beyond warding and privileged access to things like secrets management and just-in-time provisioning, no standing privileges, things like that. They are maturing cloud access through their IAM tools, right? So they're they are ready to move on to that. And that's where we see the trends uh, on the pharma side. A zero trust is something that they are well on the journey towards. So it, it's a long way to go still, but they, they have started that journey on the life sciences side. On the other side, within life sciences itself, we see more engagement with uh, consumers. And when I say consumers in the context of life sciences, it's really healthcare professionals, right? It's doctors and physicians who are accessing their drug information. And in the past, most pharma organizations have disparate and distributed systems by drug line or by line of business for engagement. And we are starting to see a wave of consolidation where they are trying to get do that outreach altogether through singular systems. So it's an area with an identity called consumer identity and access management where we see them investing quite heavily in developing these centralized solutions. On the healthcare side, again, reflecting on what I said before, it's more the core capabilities, right? They are getting their identity governance off the ground. I think for the most part, single sign-on is in place, but privileged access management, the core use cases are being built out there. Uh, There are conversations about patient engagement directly, but I think that's probably two to three years away within healthcare. For now, they're leveraging their EMR systems and direct engagement through those externalized services. 
but there's definitely conversation uh, where they want to start to handle those directly, direct, be able to market or go and engage with those patients directly in the coming years. One thing that's common though, I'd say with both life sciences and healthcare is, especially through COVID, they've seen a, you know, we, I think we've all seen it across industry uh, that there have been talent shortages in certain area. And identity for sure and cyber broadly as well has been one of those areas where there's, it's been hard to find the right talent. And if you find them, to continue to have them work for you because of the opportunities and the spread. It's been hard to get teams uh, with that kind of capability. So both life science and healthcare have started to relook at their operations, where in the past, they maybe had an outsourced provider helping them with some areas of identity. They're now starting to adopt more of that uh, outcomes-based service where they're coming out to us and saying, hey, this is the problem. We don't want to, we don't want necessarily want to know how it's done. We just want to tell you what needs to be done and you manage and deliver it for us. So here are the outcomes we're looking for. Let's just engage at that level and really focus more on the business and not on the talent side of it, technology side of it, business use cases, all of that. You do it, that's your core competency. So that's definitely a trend we're starting to see emerge in the identity space, both in life sciences as well as healthcare. That's super fascinating, Amit, appreciate that. And Justin, how about on the cloud side? What are you seeing trend-wise? There's a lot going on specifically in the cloud security space because uh, traditionally when we hear cloud security, we tend to just navigate toward infrastructure, network security, as well as uh, platform as a service security hardening, where we're trying to manage against misconfigurations, right? And you kind of hear some, some trends in the news about breaches happening because the cloud bucket was, uh, was accessed because it wasn't secured, it wasn't hardened appropriately. You know, the, those are the trends and areas that we want to work with our clients to, to to mitigate. And at the same time, too, there's technology that a lot of the big vendors and even cloud service providers are bringing that gives you visibility into uh, potential misconfigured services and obviously gives you recommendations on how to mitigate that risk and close that gap out. So uh, a lot of that's taking off, especially with um, the, the migrations either going on right now or have taken place, uh, cloud-native security controls, obviously out of the gate where the most cost effective, right? If you're moving towards one of the hyperscalers, let's just leverage what they have out of the box because they're fairly mature as well. But also at the same time, some of our clients are starting to move uh, towards multi-cloud, you know, different cloud service providers for their organization based on their individual business use cases and objectives they're trying to meet. You know, there are tools uh, in sort of that third-party vendor space that are building multi-cloud capabilities where you have broader visibility overall. Uh, a single set of policies to use to govern and manage your security posture again, as well as have more of that view from a visibility standpoint from a single solution. And one of those uh, trends that are out there right now is what we call DASD or Secure Access Service Edge, which brings together what used to be individual point solutions around network security, infrastructure security, as well as data protection into kind of a, a single view, if you will. Some examples include like firewall as a service, cloud access security brokers, data loss prevention, as well as uh, cloud security posture management into a single vendor capability where you're not just uh, consolidating for operationalization efficiency, but you're also consolidating for cost. So there's multiple kind of levers that are being pulled where clients are starting to discover and look for how they can take advantage of some of these vendors doing so. Definitely some trends to to be really kind of following right now. And the, everything seems to be moving super fast. And as organizations across the, the industry are continuing to expand their, their cloud footprint around different use cases, such as development of new customers and patient-centric capabilities, as well as to generate 
cost-effective insights, as as you were saying, Justin. What areas within cloud security require increased focus based on this expanding area? Touched upon it shortly ago around data. And when I say data, I'm thinking data governance as well as data protection. And one of the challenges or key challenges that we see across the industry is just our clients needing continued visibility to where their data is, right? And especially from a hybrid cloud standpoint, you still have data on-premises and data centers all the way up into the cloud, as well as data that is being sent to even SaaS or third-party vendors, the ability to have that visibility is, is just starting to be more and more challenging. The business wants to move fast. They want to create capabilities that are very nimble, get it out to their customers, test and learn, as well as invest in the build of new capabilities in which data that's going to be generated from it, who knows where it is today, but who knows where it's going to be tomorrow and who's going to use so, especially with healthcare organizations uh, tapping into their third-party networks that they start to outsource and use other third-party vendors more and more, let's say for data and analytics, sometimes some of that data is being transferred from one organization to another's organization cloud, and the security team may not have that visibility with increasing that cybersecurity risk. So uh, that's one area, and then I know Amit talked a little bit about zero trust, and from the identity standpoint, we we still provide the same or aim to, to drive the same uh, sort of con- concept around uh, how cloud security is being planned, designed, uh, configured, and deployed. We want to make sure that we exercise visibility into all that and create policy based on different attributes as well as uh, inputs where maybe we didn't have visibility into those specific uh, kind of metadata elements. And now that we do, we can make decisions on what uh, capabilities from people or even service account accessing data specifically within databases uh, as well as what applications are accessing as well. So. It's moving, at, it seems like it's moving at light speed, but as of right now, you know, a lot of this is converging from what used to be siloed kind of cybersecurity pillars now converged into single platforms where you get better visibility and better risk posture. Thank you, Justin. Certainly some key areas that, that we need to be paying attention to with the increased attacks. And you mentioned zero trust, so lots of buzz around zero trust. Uh, Amit, what do you see as identity's role in zero trust? But no, buzz is right, Saul, and uh, this could be a whole podcast series in itself. <laughs> Agreed. <laughs> Amount of zero trust conversations there that are going on. It's such a broad and fascinating topic, and at the same time, not necessarily well understood. Again, I think there are organizations that have kind of figured out their zero trust path and are on the way, like I said before. But there are a lot out there who've considered it just as a tool problem to solve and bought something off the shelf and try to see if that makes them zero trust or that that achieves their zero trust journey. I think from, if we speak about identity, it's definitely the, at the core of, it's one of the four pillars, but I, in my opinion, at least one of the more important ones, because without identity, you cannot kind of start that journey of access. You're at zero start standing privileges. Nobody has access to anything. The first step in that zero trust architecture is to establish the right identity context. And then two facets of that, it's been hard enough for organizations to have the right identity hygiene as it is. For them to know, especially in the non-employee space and now even in the non-human space with bots and RPA and all of that coming in, all the other proliferation of non-human identities, it's been hard enough for organizations to get a handle of who's who, what is the right, uh, is this person X, Y, or Z? Have they worked with us before? Do they have another identity in our organization which had a different persona? But then if you tie it to also the device context or the broader user context that's required for zero trust, where is this person? 
what are the behaviors that this person displays in typical access versus what are they doing now? Do they access between nine to five and right now it's 8 p.m. and there's no reason they should be accessing this. The device that they are on with BYOD coming in, people on devices that you don't recognize, how do you make sure that the channel that the user is adopting is also secure before you start to look at the uh, the data that they're trying to access or the transaction they're trying to do? Uh, these are pretty complex problems. And uh, as organizations look at Zero Trust and start to solve for it and start that journey, this is one of the first areas they try to solve for. And it is key, like I said, it is at the core of Zero Trust. And now, having achieved that first steps, they're starting to look at the second part of it is how do we, they understand the risk associated with that access? What information are they trying to access? Uh, should we even allow them that access? You know, that's where you get into the attribute or policy-based access controls as a next step of zero trust. And there are tools, we're seeing evolution in the market where tools are getting smarter, uh, but there's a lot of work still to be done within organizations, as I said before, to establish the identity context and then really understand the risk associated with the downstream access so they can make the right security decisions. One of the uh, Good things, I guess, in the last uh, year or so that has come up with Gen AI getting prominence is the conversation has shifted from more static policies around access to more of a dynamic risk-based understanding where the engine itself could be Gen AI or AI enabled, but it's looking at behaviors in the context of what others are doing with the information that's provided and being able to make a little bit more dynamic decisions. And then also on the detection side, once these capabilities are uh, implemented well, uh, and we're a few years away from that to have those capabilities and to implement them. But once they're in place, even on the security direction, the uh, security monitoring and operation side as well will benefit from not having to look through thousands and thousands of lines of logs, but the AI tools being able to say, hey, we, I've established this identity context. I'm sure it's the same person. And they're doing these 10 things. And when I look at these 10 things together, that's a pretty risky behavior, right? They've downloaded for the last five days, security information or patterned information from this server. That means they may be about to do something. Uh, so those are the kind of things that having that identity hygiene in the right context enables. It's key to zero trust and some of the other capabilities that we'll see to evolve in the coming years as well. Wow. Yeah, that's a great, great summary there, Amit. And thanks for summing it up that way for us so that we could understand how it all ties together. Some of the latest trends and technologies available to do more with it. You know, this has been an incredible conversation, guys. There's a lot that needs to still be unpacked. As, as Amit, you mentioned earlier, we could do probably like three or four different podcasts around <laughs> just cloud and uh, identity. What advice would you leave life sciences and healthcare organizations with? What call to action would you leave them with to help them evolve their security posture, especially around cloud security and identity? Yeah, let me, let me start with that one then. One of the things that I see or talk to clients about as far as we got to get it right is governance. The ability to have an intake process, for example, of what the business is aiming to adopt around a cloud service or even a hyperscaler, for example, it needs to be done up front early and often. And what that means is building solid relationships with our cloud platform teams, with business owners to include, you know, back office uh, operational processes. Uh, even including like data and analytics, for example. These days, it's as simple as standing up services using a credit card, but what is the process that needs to be put in place to request to use a specific you know, cloud service entirely? 
so we can just, you know, generally speaking around management and measurement of, of cyber risk is we got to assess that risk first. There are capabilities out there that can help expedite that, especially from, I mentioned cloud access security brokers previously giving visibility into software as a service usage and what clients deemed sanctioned versus unsanctioned usage, specifically different business use cases and what some of those service capabilities can provide. But they're from that governance entity within a cloud security structure can basically help the organization be more secure, more safe using uh, cloud services because they have done their analysis and research and assessments to say, these are the cloud services that have been approved, accepted, in which we have controls around and could be a, a large number of applications after that that are unsanctioned, which may even block users within the organization from doing so. Even though we know business users at the end of the day are just trying to do their job, the biggest cyber risk within an organization that always needs to be managed to try to remove as much human error as possible. Uh, governance is one area of focus. Uh, the other thing that ties to as well is what does cloud security optimization look like? And even cloud center of excellence organizations today across life sciences, healthcare, going through cloud op optimization. Maybe they've been in the cloud for a number of years. Maybe they understand how much they're consuming and how much they're paying for. And what is the right optimal way to use the cloud? Well, the same needs to happen across cloud security uh, because from a, a tooling standpoint, some organizations have taken on so much tech debt as it pertains to native and or third-party tool usage that they're paying for their consumption as well as licenses where a lot of those features and functions may overlap significantly and they're not getting the full value out of it because they've just bought so much. And I feel like optimization is, is going to be a key term, especially with some of these organizations across both sectors that are trying to look for ways to save money. Uh, and we hear from our clients today, help us understand what it is that we're paying for, help us uh, kind of rationalize what it is that we need to potentially sunset as well as expand or even consolidate in the future. So I really think right now, getting governance in place, getting visibility into what you're doing as far as your spend is concerned, as far as opportunities for tool consolidation would be, I think, two win that organization can get under the belt very quickly. Thanks, Justin. Yeah, two great opportunities there to focus on. And conversation, we're just at the beginning of it. So really appreciate that tee up, Justin, for things that life sciences and healthcare organizations can focus on for cloud security. Amit, how about on the identity side? Echoing everything uh, Justin said in terms of governance and optimization, I think that the same principles can be applied on the identity side as well. Uh, but the broader advice I think I would give is always to have a plan. They're surprising still on how many organizations are making major investments in identity and access management without really understanding where they want to go. They just want to move forward without any idea what they want to tackle first, what is the entirety of the universe they have to tackle or integrate. And that's where a strategy and a roadmap is key. So my advice always is have a strategy and roadmap Base it on what's important to you. I mean, the three major pillars of what you can do with identity and access management is you can reduce the risk, you can increase the operational efficiency, and you can give users a better experience. Now, figure out what's important. Figure out in terms of your target and your infrastructure what you want to really uh, secure or make better, make faster through your IAM tools, and then create a strategy and roadmap and execute on it. And then lastly, you know, there is a tendency in some organizations to run after the latest shiny object, right? We heard zero trust, and so we're going to do zero trust. We heard passwordless, and so we're going to do passwordless. You really have to resist the temptation and make sure you get the fundamentals right first, right? I spoke about identity hygiene in the context of zero trust, but even broadly, it's just so important for an organization. Once you have your core set up, 
then you can look at these advanced capabilities. I love that. <laughs> and, and look, we could all be guilty of that shiny penny. So I think it's a great thought to, to be left with here, folks. Just uh, focus on the basics. Uh, both both Amit and Justin left us with some really great frameworks to to consider the focus areas to help improve our risk profile. And and really just want to send a big thanks to, to both of you, Amit and Justin, for, for spending time with us today. It's been a, a fantastic podcast. Thank you, so. Thank you, so. Thank you, so.